This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And I am so excited today because we have a guest who is calling us to participate from her home in Australia. I love it. Um, you know, we do have quite a few international listeners as well as international guests who have been on the program. And it makes it so much fun for me because I, you know, I learn so much about other countries, other nationalities, but businesses, pra- business practices in many cases are the same, no matter where you are. And so, you know, it, it, that's what makes it fun is learning from everybody, the tips, the techniques, all those various things. And today we're going to have so much fun. I just wish we had samples because we're going to be talking about a very cool business. So please join me in welcoming Meghna Mirali to our program today. Welcome, Meghna. Thank you, Deb. I'm really thrilled to be here. So now that I tease that, let me tell people just a little bit about you. (laughs) So Meghna is the founder of Start Your Food Business. She helps food entrepreneurs channel their passion for food into their dream business. She teaches food business owners the exact steps, skills, and techniques that they can use time and time again to create a successful dream food business. Magna's goal is to help you take your skills, ideas, and passion for food and turn it into a commercially successful food product so you can achieve your dream of generating income and nurturing people through your food. With Magna, you'll learn step-by-step how to research, develop, create, test, and launch a successful and innovative food product in Australia. We're going to talk about how it translates into other countries also. That is food products that are so on-trend, optimized for sales, scalable, and guaranteed to achieve amazing results. So again, Magna, welcome. Thank you, Deb. Well, let's go a little bit back because as my listeners might have already picked up, you actually don't sound like you have an Australian accent. (laughs) So that's your home now. But tell us a little bit about how you came to to be doing this business because it's, it's very unique. And, you know, so let us know how it is that you found that this is your passion. Yes, of course. So like you've picked up, I'm not a native Australian. I'm actually born in India and I've lived in Australia for about 10 years now. And both my husband and I, uh, we're both from India and we Mm -hmm. grew up being surrounded by spices, by our families making spice mixes Mm -hmm. and all this lovely food and these family heritage recipes. And a few years ago, um, we had the idea that we wanted to start a food business of our own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we wanted to take this heritage that we've come to this country with and turn it into something that we could share with everybody. And that's where our first food business came from. It was called Spice Quarter. Mm-hmm. And it's a spice subscription box. And every month we would send delicious spice blends out to people around Australia and the world, along with recipe cards. And the response was phenomenal. Everyone loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, we had about 50 something blends from around the world, some Indian, some Moroccan, some European, some from parts of China. So we had these beautiful blends going out. It was a, actually a really great experience for us. Mm-hmm. 
it was really helpful as well because my partner is actually a qualified food technologist. Ooh. So he's been to university, he's studied mm-hmm. the subject and he's worked in the industry for many years. And I've also worked in the food and the FMCG industry on the marketing and strategy side mm-hmm. for some years as well. So we got to pool all our collective experience plus our heritage together um, and start our own food business. And it did really well. We really enjoyed it and we learned so much out of it. Mm-hmm. And during that process of when we were starting our business and sharing our products with the world, we got a lot of people asking us questions like, how did you start? Where did you get a manufacturer from? Am I allowed to do this from home? Mm -hmm. Where did you find your blends? How do you test it? How did you test that your product will actually work? And we realized that there's so many other people who are in that same space that we were a few Mm -hmm. months or a few years ago that they have the skills, they have the passions you know, they're really good in the kitchen and they're great recipes that they want to share, but they're really missing these key areas of mm-hmm. expertise that's just not in their realm. Right. And uh, being startups, they can't necessarily afford to hire expensive consultants or go with an expensive agency, and they're just trying to do everything themselves. Mm-hmm. And often that really just meant that they'd hit a bottleneck, they'd reach a point, and then they'd just stop. You know, they didn't have the time or the funds or the skills necessary to really take their business to the next level. Mm-hmm. So we started helping some of these businesses out, mostly through connections and friends. And it really grew from there. And you realize that there is a space in the market for affordable expertise for startup food businesses. And given our experience as food business owners, but also as food technologists and marketers in the industry, we thought we had the right skill set to start offering some of these services. So that's really where Start Your Food Business started from. Great. Well, do you still have your own food business or is this your entire focus now? We still do have our spice subscription business, so it's, mm-hmm. it's still going on. And, and we like to keep our fingers in the pie, so to speak, because it helps us keep across how the market trends are changing, what customers are looking for, mm-hmm. uh, what laws are changing, and the, and the different uh, updates that are happening in the market around us. So we love to keep continuing with it because it also means that we get to try all these lovely recipes, and it's something that we actually just enjoy doing together. Great. Well, so tell me more about, let's, let's talk a little bit about your food business, because then I think that will lead us to, you know, speaking more in, in general about how anyone can do a food business. So you're sending spices and, and things like that. That is what you're selling to people? Yes. So spice okay. blends, little packets of spice, spice mixes along with the recipe, mm-hmm. and anyone can prepare delicious food from around the world in their okay. own home. Okay, Great. And the reason I ask that is there's a a trend here in the United States that I take advantage of where um, there's numerous companies and, you know, I don't even know now how many companies there are that you can actually buy an entire meal kit. So it's kind of, and, and, you know, the same type of of concept, except it's a, you know, you get more of the the product and I love it because I like to cook. I've discovered late in life that I like to cook and, you know, it's, it's very interesting, but it's, you know, it's, it's something that I'm sure a lot of these businesses started out very small and really did just think, Hey, this is something great that we could do. Um, Now, you know, as I was you know, talking to you before the program and, and also uh, doing my research, looking at your information, part of what really appealed to me about talking with you is the fact that you have information that can be used by anyone who is starting a small business, you know, an entrepreneur, you know, and especially out of your home, um, because you've got some great information out there. And, uh, you know, and, and so that's what makes it so fun, because 
a business person is a business person is a business person. And you have, you know, so many great tips and techniques that people can utilize no matter where they are or what they're doing. Yes, exactly. You're right, Deb. Like there's so much in common across the different types of businesses that people run. And even though we focus on helping food businesses, Mm -hmm. a lot of the help we offer is teaching them skills and strategies that they can use to manage their business on a day-to-day basis, Mm -hmm. how to understand your customers, how to finance your business, things of uh, like costing and pricing of your products. These are skills that businesses and business owners need to know, Mm -hmm. regardless of where they are in the world or what stream of business they're in. Mm -hmm. And, And like you said as well, it's, it's, really picked up that people want to start businesses from home. Not everyone is after the brick and mortar store or opening a a cafe, but starting a business from home and Mm -hmm. sharing your skills with the world is something that's become so much easier to do. Mm -hmm. But the downside to that is also that because it's so easy to do, it's also easy to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and as I was reading through your information, um, one of the things that you talk about is in many cases, someone has one thing that that they think is absolutely fabulous. Maybe it was their grandmother's recipe for chocolate chip cookies or, you know, something where they have developed that anytime they go somewhere, somebody's like, hey, can you bring that? You know, <laughs> you, you're invited to a potluck, you're invited to whatever. That's your signature dish. And so you're thinking, wow, you know, if I can make this, other people might like it too. And, and go from there. And, and of course, we see that with a lot of the things that we do. We like, you know, I like... Uh, using social media for a marketing tool. So then I teach people how to use social media as a marketing tool. Um, you know, and, and you know about the food business, so you teach people how to do that. And so we have that one little thing that kind of is our anchor or our start, and then we go from there. Yes, exactly. And that's what we find with a lot of the people that we work with and, mm-hmm. and with us as well. We started with the spices because that's our heritage. It's what we're familiar with mm-hmm. and passionate about. And a lot of the clients I work with have started exactly as you said. They have a recipe that's doing really good. They have uh, something that they're famous for mm-hmm. and they have something that maybe they've tried at a market stall or they start selling things from home like cakes or something to friends and family. And that's mm-hmm. where it starts from. And that sparks the idea what if I could turn this into something that actually makes money right. and I can share it with more people? Mm-hmm. Well, and the cool thing about it is it can be a side business, you know, depending on what you want to do. So maybe it's you just work on it on the weekends or evenings or whatever, or it can truly be a full-time job, um, which is what a, a lot of small business owners are doing. Yes, that's right. So a lot of the small business owners um, in Australia, and I'm sure over your way as well, uh, do start off as a side business, something mm-hmm. they do in the evenings and the weekends and when they have time and they grow from there. And the goal for most business owners is to get that level of freedom from their mm-hmm. side business. So it's their main source of income and they no longer have to maybe work in the corporate world or um, anything else so they can work around their flexibility, around their family, around their other passions. And that's really a goal for more people. And we absolutely want to encourage people to do that because the mm-hmm. more freedom you have and the more you enjoy what you're doing, the better your life is going to be. Right. So let's go back to talking specifics about the food industry um, because it, it it really is something that is just fascinating to me. And I you know kind of joke that I cook now. This is something that I recently discovered and, you know, I, and maybe it was, I just didn't have the right kitchens, all those various things, but I love cooking. And so, but I have no signature recipes. I mean, this is not something that that I would ever be able to turn into a business. So I'm in awe of you because this is something that you have done. 
And I am, but I know other people who have done some of these similar things where you're right, they've taken the, you know, the, the one recipe that they had that was absolutely fabulous and turned it into a bigger business, all these various things. And, and some of them have really turned them into big businesses. Um, you know, where I, I interviewed a, a woman one time who had the, you know, grandma's cake recipe and has turned it into a full bakery that has a physical location and, and all sorts of things. But, you know, she started small with that, that one little cake recipe that she just sold and, and, um, you know, went from there. So, you know, the, the first thing is how, you know, how do you even start about this? How do you think, you know, how do you make that leap to say, I can do this and maybe I should be doing it? What you said was exactly right, Deb. Starting small is really the key. Whenever anyone thinks of starting a business, whether it's food or anything else, you always have the dreams of what you want it to be in the end. Mm -hmm. You want it to be a super successful business. You might want a little shop front. You might want a cafe. Uh, you want your products to be on the supermarket shelves. And that's your end goal. And it's great to dream big, but you mm -hmm. have to start small and work through in steps. Mm -hmm. So the way I coach my clients is when you want to start a business, find your niche, mm -hmm. find that one thing that you want to do and you want to do it well. Mm -hmm. It's better to do one thing right and be well known for it than have so many products that are mediocre. Right. So start with one product, find your niche, and validate that product. Make sure mm -hmm. that there is a market for it. Mm -hmm. And it's not difficult to validate it, especially in the food industry. The easiest way to validate is make it and get right. people to Do try people it. want to try it? <laughs> Do people want to try it? Exactly. You know, try your friends and family. It's very simple to find a stall in a local market. Generally, you can do it for a couple of hundred dollars, just the cost of the stall and prepare some products. Go and try it out. Ask people to test it out. See if they'll sell, so sorry, see if they'll buy it from you. Mm -hmm. Ask them to give you their opinion. Ask them to fill out a small survey. So it's, it's very simple to do some very simple and quick tests on your product. What mm -hmm. are people willing to buy? Is there a market for it? Do they enjoy the flavors? The next step I would say is to actually look at what competition you're going to be working with. Okay. So if, you if you're up against a big corporation that's able to sell their products at half the price and already has a well-established brand, you might find it a little bit challenging to break mm -hmm. into that market. It's not impossible. Uh, but the, the strategies and techniques you use would be a little bit different. But if your mm -hmm. product is something that's innovative and first to the market, then that puts you in a better position. Mm -hmm. You also want to know what your competitors are charging. So whether you're making cakes and cookies or whether you're uh, creating a cereal to go on supermarket shelves, you want to know what everybody else is charging. So that's just research. And that's research that's easy to do. It doesn't mm -hmm. cost any money to walk into a shop or just look online and see what things are selling for. And those are a couple of things you do to validate. And that's how you start small. You know, make sure that what you're going to do is going to be viable, mm -hmm. that there are people out there who buy it. And then you can get started. Right. Well, and, you know, starting a business in general, and we've talked about this on the program numerous times, there are things you need to do. Register the name. Um, here in the United States, you register with your state, with the, the Secretary of State. That's how you get a business license, you know, tax IDs, all these various things. And, and obviously, every country is going to have some variations of some of these. And, and you know, we tell people, set it up correct from, the, from a legal perspective. And, you know, and, and for business like mine, that's pretty simple. But a food business, I'm guessing there's quite a few other things that, that come into play, especially because you're dealing with people's health, um, you know, and, and so, you know, does that take a lot of research? Is it pretty easy to find that information for someone or, you know, is it, you know, because the, obviously that's something that, that you have to make sure you've got in place before you really start uh, uh, making your product. 
Absolutely. With any food business, food safety is the biggest responsibility of the food mm-hmm. owner. Because you're playing with people's health, essentially. If someone right. eats your product and they fall sick, it not only does it affect the customer, which is mm-hmm. awful, but it, it could have really bad repercussions for your business too. Right. You could get a really bad fine. You could be forced to shut down. Mm-hmm. You may have to pay for all their medical fees. So it's, you need to make sure that food safety is right. And like you said, there's lots of things like setting up the business, registering the business name. Um, in Australia, you can also register your company name, getting your tax ID and forms filled and all that is the basics. Mm-hmm. But the things that food business owners have to do in specific is, um, it's a little bit different in Australia. I'm not sure exactly what it is over where you are, but you have to talk to your local council or your local state um, oh. about starting a business. It depends okay. on where your business is going to be located and it depends mm-hmm. on where you're going to be producing your products. Mm-hmm. So in most places around the world, there's three different ways of creating food to sell. You can do it in your own home. You can hire a a commercial kitchen Mm -hmm. uh, to to create your products, or you can outsource it to a a professional manufacturer. Mm -hmm. It works that way here too. Yeah, great. So that's that's what I thought. It's it's pretty Mm -hmm. common to have those sort of three streams anywhere in the Mm -hmm. world. Um, And the last option, which is working with a professional manufacturer, uh, is generally for bigger businesses who have larger volumes because Mm -hmm. the manufacturers have certain um, minimum limits on how much they produce. The size of equipment. Mm-hmm. They're not doing um, 12 bottles of a spice. They're exactly, doing 12,000 no, bottles. Exactly. So when you're in the thousands, a manufacturer is good because they can help you bring your costs down as well. Mm-hmm. But for startups, it's usually either from home or from a, a hired kitchen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I tell my clients to investigate starting from home mm-hmm. because that is the cheapest option. But often the easiest option is actually to hire a commercial kitchen. Mm. Because over here, what happens is your local council or your local state will tell you whether you're allowed to produce food from home. Mm -hmm. So they'll come and do an inspection. They'll ask you for a food safety license. Um, They want you to um, pull out a food safety certificate to someone who is on the premises, is uh, aware of all the food safety rules they need to comply Mm -hmm. with. Um, And often they may come and say that, look, your kitchen is just not equipped. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not big enough. You may have pets in the house. Um, You know, you don't have separate fridge to store your items. So they may say that for you to use your home kitchen, you have to make some modifications, Mm -hmm. which is not to everybody's capacity. You might be in a rental, you might not have the space or the funds to modify your kitchen, Mm -hmm. in which case going into a hired kitchen is actually much more feasible because you can hire kitchens for an hour at a time. Mm -hmm. And those kitchens are already licensed. They're fully equipped. They have all the equipment you'll need. They have all the storage, the refrigeration, the ovens, the stoves, everything you need, mm-hmm. and you just pay them an hourly fee. Right. Well, and it's interesting. I just typed commercial kitchen into Google as we were talking. And and I was, you know, and that was the only words that I put into it. So it's, it's very broad, but I came up with 650 billion results. <laughs> <laughs> to count the zeros there to figure it out. And, um, and, and what they are talking about is obviously commercial uh, kitchen equipment. So, you know, that, that kind of is in there too. So that's part of why the number is so big. But, you know, top of the list are kitchens that, as you said, you go in and you rent their space. Um, you know, and, and I really like that idea because, you know, like you said, you, you don't want to probably be doing this in your home kitchen, um, you know, making 200 cakes or, you know, you know, a bunch of cookies. Now, if you're doing, say, one wedding cake, that's a little bit different than, you know, batches and batches of cookies or, or you know, spices like you're doing. And, and 
by hiring this, these commercial kitchens, as you know, it's, it's exactly what you said. They have all the, the certifications, the safety features, all of those various things that, you know, you just can't get in your home kitchen, especially if you've got a family, you know, sometimes things get a little messy, all these various things. And so the commercial kitchen really is a, a great option. It really is. And they're not very expensive to mm-hmm. hire. In Australia, the commercial kitchen started about $35 an hour, oh, okay. um, which is a very reasonable cost. Mm-hmm. And you can hire it by the hour or book it for the whole day. If you have mm-hmm. a big batch of things to put through, you can uh, bring people in to help you. So mm-hmm. you can hire some employees casually to help you with it. Um, and it's a great option. And actually, I've also noticed over the last year or so that there's a lot of cafes and restaurants that have started giving access to their kitchen during oh. uh, outside their business hours. Interesting. So yeah, so it becomes a source of uh, revenue for them. So they get mm-hmm. to hire the space out when it's not in use. Mm-hmm. And the person that's hiring it is responsible for things like keeping it clean and you know getting the, rid of the trash at the end of the day. And really everybody wins. You might get a spot that's close to your home or mm-hmm. it might even be a cafe that you're already selling some of your products to. Mm-hmm. And you can just use their kitchens to produce products that they themselves are selling. Uh, so that's also a, a growing space that I'm starting to see. So there's really no shortage of commercial places for hire where you mm-hmm. can start creating your food products. I love it. And you know, there, there is so much additional knowledge, maybe is the, is the way to put it, that someone needs to know. Um, again, because food affects people's health. Um, you know, the, the various allergies are probably one of the, the biggest things here in, um, you know, and, and the big companies have problems with it also where, you know, you'll see that, you know, thousands of, of products are being recalled because it had peanut oil in it. Or um, here in the United States, they just had a big recall on almond milk because it actually had milk in it. <laughs> and, you know, which that was kind of a, a bizarre concept. But of course, there are people that drink almond milk because they have allergies to uh, cow's milk. And so when you mix those two, you know, obviously there can be very serious ramifications. So, you know, we want to encourage people, look into this, you know, if you're, you know, make sure that you know that, you know, it's not just peanut allergies, it's nut allergies and, and what can, you know, what things can contain all of those and, you know, do all of that research because you don't want to have a, any, any problems arise. Exactly. You know, for a small business, you really don't want to have a recall. You don't want to have to um, destroy thousands mm-hmm. and thousands of units of product. It's a huge hit to your business. Mm-hmm. So every country that you operate in will have laws around what needs to be on your packaging. Mm-hmm. Generally, the basics are that it needs to include all the ingredients. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases, it also needs to include country of origin labeling. So mm-hmm. That's the case in Australia. You now need to start declaring um, oh. which country all the ingredients come from. Okay. So there's a little... There's a little um, graphic that you can put in that says that your products have all been grown in Australia and manufactured in Australia or they're mm-hmm. imported products that have been packaged in Australia. Uh, so that's a new, that's something new that's just rolled out uh, a few months ago in mm-hmm. Australia. But the basics of having your ingredients on the package, that's universal around the world. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to get that right. Right. Well, and, and, most, and I think here you also have to say calorie count, you know, some various things like that. But yes, it's probably yes. actually pretty easy to, to do the research on that. So if you're manufacturing the product yourself, you obviously know what's in it. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to say that, yep, this is the recipe I use, so I know exactly what products go in there. Mm -hmm. But if you're uh, using, say, a facility where peanuts are also being used or it's Mm -hmm. uh, where there's presence of gluten, even though your products may not contain a a gluten Mm -hmm. uh, ingredient in it, then you may also have to put some additional labeling on saying produced in a facility that also 
processes nuts mm-hmm. are also processes gluten so right. it may not be suitable for someone who is gluten free for health reasons mm-hmm. or peanut free for allergy reasons right the other thing that um, is also important uh, is that if you're making any claims on your products if you're saying my product is um, lactose free or gluten free or mm-hmm. 100% vegan then in most countries you have to be able to validate that claim right. so a health health inspector can come knocking and say we've had a report that maybe your product isn't actually completely vegan or isn't completely gluten free do you have proof to back up your claims mm-hmm. so the way to do that is to send your products out to a lab to get it tested for all its ingredients oh okay so that's that that the lab has um, equipment and it has facilities that can test it down to really a microscopic level. Mm-hmm. And most countries will have a limit to say that to call a product say gluten free, um, it needs to be under a certain amount of micrograms mm-hmm. of any presence of gluten. So you can have a get send your products off to a lab. They'll do some testing on it, um, and they'll let you know what your contents are. Uh, and then you can say, "Yep, I have had it tested. My um, allowable gluten is under the limit for the mm-hmm. country." And so, yes, I can have the claim on. So you need to be just wary of those things. And if you look, if you're not sure about something, it's better to be safe than sorry. Right, right. And we can't rely on the consumer um, because sometimes they don't know. I'm, I'm saying that because there was a situation here in the States not long ago where this woman had gone to the same sandwich shop for her lunch for many, many lunches. And finally you know, was there with someone else and, and they said something, you know, she ordered her sandwich and the, and the person said, well, I thought you were vegan. And she said, well, yes, I am. And, and it was a matter of her personal preference, you know, and, and so no allergies or anything like that. But it was, it was very important to her to be vegan. And the person with her said, well, you just got mayonnaise on that sandwich. And she said, yeah, so? And they said, mayonnaise is made from eggs. She had no idea. And, you know, and, and so she is the consumer and, oh, you know, it, it caused a tizzy because this poor woman, you know, she, she, and, and, you know, there certainly wasn't anything that anybody was trying to hide. She just didn't realize that eggs are what make mayonnaise, um, you know, and, and so, you know, as you said, it's, it's best to kind of be overly cautious, have, have every warning. I mean, you know, you can't have every warning or there's not enough room on whatever the product is, but, you know, make sure that you're putting as much information out there as, as you can. Absolutely, because you know consumers these days are very conscious of what they're eating. They're mm-hmm. learning to read pack labels. Mm-hmm. You know they understand what's on there, and they want to know that what they're eating is suiting their lifestyle and their choices. So the more information you have, the better, because it allows the consumer to make a choice. And if they have to choose between two products, and one product is giving them the information they need, mm-hmm. and the other one isn't, which one do you think they're going to go for? Right. So we have to bear in mind as well that the person shopping today is different to the one who was shopping for food, say, 10 or even 15 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. They are much more aware of what's out there, what's healthy, what ingredients are going in the food, where is the food sourced from. Mm-hmm. So if your product is making claims, you know, make sure you validate it, make mm-hmm. sure it's on your pack. Um, if there's a risk that there may be any kind of allergens or products in there that someone might be avoiding, just make sure there's a note on there about it. And look, look, that's not just about protecting the consumer, but also about protecting yourself and your mm-hmm. business. Right, right. You know, and, and it occurred to me when you were talking about the, the, how consumers have changed, many consumers would actually rather pay a higher price to have something that is is not mass manufactured, um, you know, for a variety of reasons, you know they they like the little mom and pop, but they also know that the mass manufacturing process 
puts a lot of preservatives in and, you know, all sorts of things that, you know, people who, as you, as you said, they're really watching a lot of what they consume. So, you know, I, I love the fact that this might really be a trend for people to start getting into because I think consumers are looking, you know, as you said, for, you know, things like this. Yes, definitely. And that's something actually we've seen a lot of in the baby food industry in Australia. Mm, A lot of people uh, say about 10 years ago, we're very much, we want a a branded baby food product, you know, the pureed vegetables, whatnot um, from the supermarket. We Mm -hmm. want to know which brand it is. Mm -hmm. It needs to be packaged and and everything. But now there's actually a growing trend of getting baby food from people who make it in small batches. Mm -hmm. They use all organic produce. Um, They make you know, delicious recipes for babies, not just the standard stuff. And that's a growing trend we're seeing in Australia because people are so much aware of what's going out there. They're so conscious about what they're putting into their their bodies and what they're feeding their families. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, it is absolutely true that consumers want to support smaller manufacturers that are hand-making small batch products because it also means that it's probably fresher. Right. You know, the product you buy today might have just been made a few days ago rather Mm -hmm. than being made a few months ago and then sitting in a warehouse and then being transported and then sitting on the shelf. You know that the product is probably fresher. It maybe has less preservatives. You're supporting a local business or a small business. um, And you're already helping build the economy as well when you do that. Mm -hmm. Right. I was making something the other day and we got cheese out of my refrigerator to, to put onto it. And was stunned when I happened to notice that on the package of cheese, it said that it should be consumed before something, something, 2019. (laughs) Ew. (laughs) So I'm thinking, that's not cheese. (laughs) That's a lot of preservative there that I was eating. Yeah, look, there's this, unfortunately, there's not a lot you can do to avoid preservatives. If you really want any kind of food to last more than two days, it needs some Mm -hmm. kind of preservatives in it. But there are different types of preservatives Mm -hmm. out there. You can have preservatives that extend the life of your food that are quite naturally based. Mm-hmm. So they're not as much chemicals. Mm-hmm. Um, and if your uh, production to shelf to consumption is within a few weeks, then you can really minimize the amount of preservatives you have. But yes, there's a lot of products out there that have tons of preservatives in it. And I'm glad you mentioned the um, expiry date of the cheese because that's something that food business owners need to be across as well. You need to have the right shelf life on your products. Mm. You need to let people know when your products need to be consumed by. Mm-hmm. And if it's a short shelf life, that's fine. It's because your food is fresh. It doesn't have as much preservatives, but you need to make sure it's on there because you don't want someone getting sick because they ate some of your product uh, past the date when it was good right. in uh, good conditions. And that's, mm-hmm. again, something that uh, a lab can help you to test out. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, what are some other ways that food entrepreneurs can be innovative? So there's the way I teach my clients about being innovative is to really keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on in your local market. Okay. And now your local market could literally be the suburbs around where you live. You know, you could be a very niche producer servicing a small area, mm-hmm. or your local market could be your city, it could be your state, it could be your country, the world. You know, mm-hmm. keep your finger on the pulse and know what's going on in the market. What are consumers looking for? What are the trends? Mm-hmm. And there is a difference between trends and fads, which is also what I like to t- tell my clients about. A trend is something that lasts long. Mm-hmm. You know, a trend is a trend towards health food and, and a preference for vegan food mm-hmm. um, and lactose-free milk. That's a trend. But mm-hmm. a fad might be something that comes and goes in a few months. Do you really want to suddenly create a new product to, to, to sell into a fad when mm-hmm. in a few months' time no one's going to be buying it anyway? Right. So I think innovation comes down to, you know, be, be ready to take risks. Mm-hmm. 
but also keep your eye on the market and make sure that you're across what trends are happening. There are lots of other ways of being innovative. You could have innovating, innovative packaging on your product. Mm-hmm. You know, work with a great packaging designer and your manufacturer and come up with something really innovative, maybe a product that you can directly pop into the microwave and the packaging is safe, the inks are um, food safe and um, it could be something of that sort. It could be packaging that um, allows your product to be kind of mixed into the packaging and partially cooked before the consumer takes it home. Mm-hmm. You could have innovation in the flavors that you use. You know, you could get a flavor from another country that's not very familiar in the area you're in because there is a growing trend in that space as well. So there's lots of room for innovation in food and that's what makes it a really exciting space to work with. Mm-hmm. But it can be overwhelming. So right. always sort of step back and have a think about what is it that people will buy from you. Mm-hmm. Well, and speaking of overwhelming, I mean, as you were talking about it, I just, my little brain just shorted out and it thought, oh my God, there's inks and packaging. Yeah. That's where it's great to work with someone like you. Um, you know, and, and we mentioned that you are in Australia, but a lot of the information that you have is, is clearly something that can, can transition worldwide. So tell us how you would work with, say me, if I said, oh my gosh, I've got this great chocolate chip cookie recipe, what am I going to do? Um, walk us through you know, some of the, this, the things that, that you would work with people on. So starting a food business involves a lot of stress, there's effort, there's guesswork, and there's lots of trial and error. And that's usually how a lot of businesses get started. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, it actually ends up taking them twice as long and costing twice as long if they don't have someone supporting them through the journey. Right. So whether you were based in Australia, whether you were based in the US or anywhere else in the world, I would work with you, first of all, to define the strategy around your product and your business. What is it you're really trying to achieve out of it? Who Mm -hmm. are you trying to market to? And is what you're producing the right product for the right market? So that's actually, you would be surprised to realize probably that that's what takes the most time, Mm -hmm. is turning sort of this whimsical idea in in someone's mind to something that you can put pen and paper down and write out a strategy that will see you through idea, through to development, through to launch and validation and mm-hmm. all of that process. So that I would start off. That's the first thing I start with, with all of my clients. Following that point is about really how to actually create the product. And that can vary a little bit from country to country, but the principles are the same about um, testing your product, finding a manufacturer, finding the best ingredients, getting your suppliers right, um, doing some market testing, shelf life, you know, nutritional testing. So those steps are all the same, regardless of where you are in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you're supposed to follow by law of your country can be different. Mm-hmm. But like I said before, it's better safe to be safe than sorry. And even if the country you're operating in doesn't have, you know, the strictest of laws with regards to packaging or food safety, for your own sake and for your own protection and really for your own um, morality as well. Right, you know, you peace of mind. I mean, you don't want to make yeah. somebody sick. No, of course not. So you don't want to. So no matter, even if the laws in your local area might not be so picky about certain things, it's best for you to be because you're creating a product that eventually someone's going to eat. Mm-hmm. So it's your responsibility morally to make sure that that's a great product and it's safe for the consumption. Right. Now, do you also have to research laws where your you know, where your product might be sold too. So, you know, for example, you're in Australia and you might sell your spices here in the United States. Do you have to know the, the laws of the United States? Absolutely. You should know what the laws are, but depending on which country you're selling into, uh, the laws can be a bit different about what you need to follow. Okay. But I always say that be aware of what the laws are. If, you're, if a big portion of your consumer base is coming from another country, 
definitely you should know what the laws are. And if there's something in, in the laws of that country that um, your country of manufacturer doesn't follow for whatever reason, mm-hmm. um, just make sure you're across it. And if you have any doubts, consult someone in the country that you're selling to mm-hmm. who is an expert in the topic and can give you advice on it. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not a, a very aware of what the laws are in places like the US or mm-hmm. Europe. So I wouldn't advise someone on it directly myself, but I can help them find the right person. Right. Well, and especially here in the United States where, you know, there's like a lawyer on every other corner. I'm assuming that there are lawyers that specialize in this also. Yes, definitely. So you will have, there's a lot of different actually people who specialize in niche areas of food production. So there's people who specialize in the packaging side of it. So they can help you design and implement the best packaging. There's people who can help you with the nutritional side of it. So making sure you've got all your information correct. Um, The legal side of it, like you said, you know, making sure you've ticked all the boxes, your product is safe, you've got all your licenses in place, you've got all your certificates in place. There are lots of people out there. And that actually is what makes it um, complex for a startup because connecting with specialists costs money. Let's mm-hmm. be honest. You know, there's these people who are very highly educated, very highly qualified and spending time with them and getting their not access to their knowledge can be expensive. But I say that it is well worth the investment. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you invest in getting your business right, mm-hmm. getting, t- ticking all the boxes, making sure you're doing the right things, producing the right product, selling it the right way. Um, in the beginning, you don't want to have to have an issue further down the line when you've been operational for a whole year. Right. Well, and and as I said at the start of the program, that's with any product or service that you're going to sell. Um, you know, you need to make sure that you're starting out with that good foundation and moving forward. Um, you know, and and as opposed to having to catch up and oh my gosh, I didn't have this right license or um, you know, here in the United States, it gets a little complicated because you can be a limited liability corporation, you can be a sole proprietorship, all these various different things. Um, you know, and and I know people who don't do any of that. You know, they just say, write me out a personal check. And it's like, you know, and, and it, it, which, you know, I, I, you know, probably won't do business with somebody like that. But um, one of the very first things when I started my business, oh gosh, oh, 20 years ago, um, I, I was meeting with a business coach. And, and one of the things she told me was, take all of those steps, you know, become incorporated, have a logo, do, you know, do those things so that people looking at you recognize that you are a true business and not just somebody doing this for a little bit of fun. Um, you know, and, and obviously there's a bigger investment when you're doing something like a, a food business as opposed to, you know, I just needed a laptop and, and you know, a, a printer. Um, but, you know, it, it is something that you want people to take you seriously before they're, you know, or they might not do business with you. Absolutely. You want to set your foundations right. You want to register your business correctly, register your business name correctly, get the structure right, you know, have a basic website. It doesn't have to cost you too much. Have a logo, have a professional presence, because that really gives people the trust that you can be relied on, Mm -hmm. that you are trustworthy, that they will get the service that they expect from you. Mm -hmm. And it sets you up as a strong competitor in the market. Right. So there are, I know people as well, just as you said, who don't do any of these things, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that seems to work for them or that's just the goal that they want. They're only doing a hobby. They, mm-hmm. you know, they're only working on weekends or it's just not worth the effort for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, those are people that I wouldn't do business with either because I don't have the faith that they've ticked all the boxes and that they're doing what's best for me as a consumer rather than what's the easiest for them. Right. So that's, 
definitely the case. And as part of what we do with our clients is we actually go through 24 steps of what every food business owner needs to do wow. to go from idea through to launch. Mm-hmm. And we have an entire program that goes around. And one of the first things we do is about setting up the right structure for your business, getting your business name right, how to identify it, and all the way through to how to develop the product step by step, to mm-hmm. launch the marketing and everything. So yeah, there's there's a lot of things there, but you know, you, you can do it. Just you just have to do it step by step. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and not get overwhelmed. Right. You know, and, and it's funny, as we were talking about the food business and you know, you might start with your grandma's recipe of, of whatever. I, I was thinking in a lot of cases, it seems to me that what ends up happening is one of the bigger guys ends up buying that person out because they see that, oh my gosh, you know, they've, they've got this great cookie recipe or brisket or spice or whatever. And, you know, if that is your goal that you want to eventually sell your, your business, then you have to have set it up right to start with, or they're not going to buy it or worse, they're just going to kind of start doing it and you really won't have any recourse. Absolutely. That can definitely happen. So with the food industry, in, in some ways, it's a little bit similar to things like creative industry that you must protect your IP. Mm. So whatever your product is, whether it is your grandmother's recipe or something new or even just a, a new formulation of an existing product, mm-hmm. the recipe that you use to create your product has to be protected. Oh, so, so you would get like the variation of a copyright? Yes, yeah, similarly. So what okay. you would do, is you would get a... Um, a non-disclosure agreement with anyone that you're sharing your recipe with. Mm -hmm. So if you're giving your recipe to someone else to manufacture it for you, um, if you're giving it to some of your employees to produce it for you, Mm -hmm. you get them to sign a non-disclosure agreement saying that I'm sharing my recipe with you, but you're not allowed to share it with anybody else. Mm -hmm. And secondly, if you're working with the manufacturer to develop a recipe, because that's often the case as well when you're trying Mm -hmm. to scale up, uh, you need to decide beforehand who owns the IP for the recipe. Mm-hmm. So often a manufacturer may try to own the IP because mm-hmm. that means that they can unsell it to somebody else right? Uh, and they can make money. But And it might cost you more upfront to say, no, I won't own the IP for my product so nobody mm-hmm. else can reproduce it. So that's one way of protecting your product so that mm-hmm. when in the future someone else shows interest in purchasing your business, if that's the route you want to go, you have saying, I own the IP for my product. Mm-hmm. I own the recipe for this product. And if I sell my business to you, you're getting that as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. this, this product and this recipe that people love, you're not going to be able to reproduce without my recipe and my specific IP. Mm-hmm. So that's, right. a, that's actually value. That's actually an asset to your business. Mm-hmm. And a lot of businesses that start out um, don't follow that. They don't think of it that way. They said, I created it. Of course, it's mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. once you start Grandma sharing it. Grandma made this forever. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, once you start sharing it with the world, there's nothing stopping somebody from um, recreating what you've done. Right. You know, especially have, if they have the exact recipe. So d- one of the things I always advise my clients is um, before you share a recipe with anybody, you know, even me, mm-hmm. you know, if you're sharing it with me, even if you're sharing it with me, get into the habit of telling, I can share it with you once I've um, signed a non-disclosure agree- mm-hmm. agreement. Now the agreement might be called something slightly different in different countries. In Australia, mm-hmm. we just call it NDA, a non-disclosure agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, there might be a slightly different variation in the U.S., but whatever the, the standard is for the country you operate in, mm-hmm. um, definitely understand and be across it. And if you need to get a lawyer to help you with it. Right. Because you do want to protect it. Um, you know, it's, it's just like anything else. That's yours. That is your product that you are producing, and you don't want somebody else just to go off and, and start making it. 
Absolutely not. And for the small business, there is always the risk that someone who has the, the bigger business, the facility, mm-hmm. the money, you know, the, the research um, teams will try and recreate your product. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll say, that's really great. That's something really innovative I want. And there's not a lot you can do necessarily to stop it. You know, there's a hundred different kinds of biscuits out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you come up with a new chocolate chip biscuit, you're doing what some, a lot of other people have already done. Mm-hmm. So your, your, your product might stand out really because it's extra crumbly and it's super soft and um, it's made from, a, it has a great story behind it. Like it's made from your, by your French grandmother, you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not necessary that, you know, the product you create is going to be something brand new in the market. It's a variation of an existing product, but you, that still means that you should protect your IP. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want someone else creating exactly the same thing as you. And if they have the marketing budgets or they're a big industry or a big player in the industry, um, they could overwhelm you. Mm-hmm. So definitely right. very important to protect protect your recipes and your IP. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, what are some of the other mistakes that food business owners make? So I think one of the mistakes that food business owners make that I see quite um, often is that they don't do market testing on their product. Oh. So you think, oh, you know, everyone loves my product. Surely they're going to buy it. Mm-hmm. Or this is a big hit in my, across my family. Yeah, Everybody makes me bring it to the potluck. Yeah, everyone loves it. Of course, it's going to do well. Mm-hmm. And it might as well. It might. You know, the reason everybody loves it is because obviously it's a very good product and you're a very good cook. Um, but you need to do wider market research than just your local friends and family. And they're a great starting point because they will help you. Um, if you ask them to answer honestly, they'll help you identify things that perhaps could be a little bit better. If you ask, yes, they love your recipe and you bring it to every potluck. But mm-hmm. if you ask them in detail, you know, tell me honestly what you think because I'm thinking of selling this to other people. Mm-hmm. They may say, actually, for my taste, it's a little bit too sweet. Right. Or I found it a little bit spicy. Or I think the consistency is a bit runny. So they mm-hmm. could give you more honest feedback. They absolutely love it. But for mm-hmm. a product that you want to put out there in the market, you want it to be as perfect as you can get it. Mm-hmm. You also want to know, like I mentioned before, who are your competitors? Who else is operating in the space? And what do they charge for it, importantly? Because if it costs you $5 to create uh, 10 cupcakes, for example, mm-hmm. um, and, but someone down the road is selling them for $5, then you're not going to make any money if you match their price. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be worthwhile your time and effort. Um, or if you want to charge more than them, you have to justify it. Right. You, know, you have to make it clear to the client why they should buy your product. Mm-hmm. So all that is going to involve doing some market testing and market research. And I think that a lot of businesses don't spend enough time on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they find out often a little bit later that their product is maybe too expensive for the market or not expensive enough or there's competitors um, who are already established who are doing something fairly similar, um, and it's quite hard to kind of take clients away from them or mm-hmm. take customers away from them. Right. You know, and, and that's one of the things that I really tell people that they need to do here is they have to know exactly who their target market is. Um, you know, I've, I've joked on the program, or eh, it's, it's somewhat of a joke, and I've, I've said this several times where I was at a networking meeting one time, and, and you know, we were all to go around and give our, you know, this is, this is what we do spiel, and, this, uh, and then who our, who our consumer was, our best target market. And this woman said, well, I sell um, uh, lotion products, skincare products, and so, therefore, my target market is everyone. And we <laughs> see, we all laugh. Um, but, and, and we said, no, your target market is not everyone. But, of course, it is. I mean, you know, everyone has skin. Um, but 
when she really fine tuned it, but, and so of course the problem was, you know, she said, well, my target market is everyone. And, and then none of us could think of anybody to refer to her. I mean, it was really funny because we, we all knew people who had skin, obviously, but when she fine tuned it to say that she really wanted to work with teenage boys who had acne, Every one of us could think of somebody that that we could refer to her. So you know, same thing goes with the food products. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not going to to use spices personally for myself that are very very spicy. Um, you know, and and I'm you know I'm kind of a wuss about some of this stuff. But you know, other people might be, and so you have to know exactly what you know what it is that you're selling. You know, we we mentioned vegans. I mean, you certainly don't want to you know try and, and sell something to a vegan that's not a vegan product. Um, you know, or or try and, and sell it to sell a vegan product to me because I don't care about it being vegan. Um, you know, so you have to know about, you know, get get very specific. And yes, that does limit the number of people that you're selling to, but you're selling to the right people. I think you're absolutely right, right, Deb. I think it's better to sell to fewer people, but sell to the right people. Right. You will get a better conversion from the customers if you're targeting the right person. Mm-hmm. And it's important to get to know who your target customers because it helps you form the messaging mm-hmm. and the branding of your product and also how to market to them. Mm-hmm. So if your customer base is uh, mums who are really busy and mm-hmm. short on time and they want um, quick and easy meal solutions, and that's what your, your target market is, mm-hmm. then once you've identified that target market, you now know where to find them. Mm-hmm. Where do these mums hang out? They're on, you know, mummy blogs. They're looking for advice. They're looking for recipes online. They might be in mums groups on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it starts getting a lot clearer about how you're actually going to target them. Because there's no point trying to sell to busy mums who want a meal product and then going and doing it at a sports club. Mm-hmm. They may not, they, that's not where they probably hang out. Right. They're probably actually at the sports ground mm-hmm. where their kids are playing a match um, and they're on their phone looking for recipes for tonight's dinner. Mm-hmm. Right. So no, that that's definitely, it's definitely important to know your target market because it feeds through to all the other aspects of your business. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, at the start of the program, I mentioned the fact that what the information that you provide is true for any type of, of entrepreneur or small business. And, and one of the things that I want to briefly mention, you've got this great tool. You know, when, when I went to your website, there was a block that said, um, you know, uh, free guide, 31 online tools for food businesses. And so, you know, doing my research, I, you know, signed up to get that. This is fabulous. I love this. I'm going to save this um, because it's got so many great tips that really are good for anyone. Um, you know, you've got information on image creation. You've got my favorite. You've got Canva in there. You know, can't survive without Canva. Um, you know, you've got uh, video creation, email marketing, web hosting, social media management, task management, and then the uh, always popular legal templates, um, which I'm, I think those are just the, uh, the Australian version. But, you know, I would encourage people to go to your website, which is start your food business.com.au. Don't forget the .au, folks. Um, and sign up to, to get this because it really is an absolutely fabulous resource. I love this. Oh, thanks, Deb. Um, actually, I put that together because I was just looking at all the tools that I use. And mm-hmm. I went, you know, there's so many out there. And sometimes I'm confused myself. So I said, right. I'm going to make a list. I'm just going to make a list mm-hmm. for my own reference as to where to go anytime I'm trying to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just turned into, <laughs> into a PDF that I put up on the website. And it has actually been 
Um, really popular. A lot of people have reached out to me and said, thanks for making this list because now mm-hmm. I know where to go when I'm looking for something quite specific. Um, and like you said, there's the tools are not specifically just for food businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on the web, our website. We um, do cater primarily for food businesses. But if you also look at our blog, you'll find a lot of advice in there about things like finding your target market, basics of taxing, uh, taxation laws in Australia, um, how to uh, do market stalls. So those are information that is actually uh, like you said, it, it's applicable to other businesses as well and not just food business. Right. Um, and like we discussed earlier in the show, there's so many things that are common across all businesses. And then you have areas that are specific to food businesses, but mm-hmm. getting the basics right, getting the strategies right, um, learning about your target customer, this is all, all information that every food business owner should be across. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, there, there's some great tools here. Your blog, I was you know looking through some of the posts and uh, you know, I, I glanced at three or four of them and I found something in every one of them that could be applicable to any other type of business. So, um, you know, it's, it's a great resource, people. So I encourage you to, to go there and, and find this information. Yeah, we love the blog and, you know, our, our, pe- our customers love it as well. A lot of people have, have reached out and asked for a particular type of information and I turned it into a blog post. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I got a lot of questions about um, some tips around social media and that is now a blog post on our website. We also use our blog as a place to highlight some um, local small businesses in Australia um, in the food space who are doing some really innovative things. Mm-hmm. So um, I think our blogs are a great way to learn and look, there are lots of blogs that I look at as well for advice and help and mm-hmm. in the end, I'm also a food bi- a business owner that's looking for advice and looking to keep learning. Um, And blogs are a great way for businesses to also connect with customers. So um, if you're a food business and you're producing food products, it doesn't mean you can't do a blog as well. Actually, people would love to come to your website and see blogs on recipes and ways on using your product or um, showing off people who bought your product, share some media you've received. So a blog is, and having a blog on your website is a a great marketing tool for any business owner. Mm -hmm. Right. So, oh my gosh, we've only got about five minutes left, um, and this really has been so much fun. I've learned, you know, and, and I, I know that I'm never going to do this. I'm not going to start a food business, but it does seem like something that I know so many people would be good at and, and could do things like these. So what are some final tips that, that you want to share with people? So some of the tips that I would love to share with anyone that's in, uh, in business, really, and, and especially food business, is... Um, always know who your product is for. Mm-hmm. You know, do your research, understand your market. It is really tempting to go to the fun parts of the business, which is creating and cooking and sharing your products. And that is the most fun part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of it seems like sometimes can be a bit of a drag or a headache, but spend time on it. Mm-hmm. You know, spend time on getting your business right, right in the beginning, do your research and you could save yourself so much headache in the end. Um, the second bit of tip, advice I'd say is always ask for help. You know, the number of is businesses I see that just don't reach out and ask for help and they say, no, I'm just going to do it all myself. Mm-hmm. You don't have to. There's lots of help out there. There's lots of people out there who can support you. There's blogs and podcasts like yours that, you know, you can go and get free advice and uh, just listen to experts talk. Um, you can look at things on the internet. There's lots of good websites and people that can give you great advice and reach out. Just ask for help if you need it. There are so many people out there who can help you with your business. Mm-hmm. Well, and speaking of that, you do coaching programs and and mentoring programs. Um, So tell us just very briefly a little bit about those. 
Yes, sure. So we offer a coaching and mentoring program that's actually a, a six-month program, so 24 weeks. We mm-hmm. go through the 24 steps to start and launch a food business. Um, and that's really for people who are in the early stages uh, and want to start something new, but are just unsure about what to do next. Mm-hmm. Or they want to launch a new product and they want to get it really right this time. They want to do it as quickly, as efficiently, and as um, cost-effectively as possible. So that's a program that we go through them with. It includes uh, lots of coaching calls, live one-on-one time with us, um, an online portal with videos and resources. And also we w- also um, work one-on-one with people as they need it. So we do coaching um, sessions one-on-one with anyone that needs it for specific issues with their business. Um, and we also help connect our clients to others who could help them with their particular business. Great. You know, and, and I'm guessing that partnership might really be something that that is good for people. Um, you know, the, the, the cookie people could partner with other dessert people or, um, you know, full meal people or, or whatever, and and pool resources. You know, that's, that's one of the, the best things that small business owners can do. Yeah, so there's so much you can gain by collaborating with someone who is in a similar space. And even in some cases, someone who's a, who can even be in a competitive space to you, because as an example I'll give you recently is I had a client who um, does um, cakes and um, uh, party cakes from home. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does quite well. She has you know, the, the, a good amount of work to keep her busy and she's quite happy keeping it in a smaller scale, but she's mm-hmm. getting a lot more customers. So she does have another person who lives a couple of suburbs down who does something similar. Mm-hmm. And rather than competing with each other, they've actually um, tied up and they now help each other to complete orders. Mm-hmm. So when they have an overflow of customers, they pass it to each other. If they need an extra hand for a big order, they go and help each other out. So even though they're actually competing and they're in the same space, they're collaborating and helping each other to grow. Mm-hmm. So building those networks and relationships with people who work in the same industry as you is a huge part of growing your business. You don't have to do it on your own. And like you said, you know, someone who makes cookies can collaborate with someone who does sort of meal kits or um, dessert boxes, things like that. Um, if you produce a great chutney or spice, you could work with, again, with a meal kit company or some kind of subscription box that, you know, sends food out to people. There's so many ways to collaborate. I love it. Well, holy cow, Magna, this really has been fascinating, um, you know, and, and, and it's funny because I know some people who, who do exactly what you're doing, and it never really occurred to me just how complicated and difficult it can be, um, you know, and, 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 you know, having to rent the space and having to make sure that, you know, your utensils that, that have been, you know, that you're using, you know, haven't touched something that could be an allergen or, or all of these various things. And, and so I hope what we've done is not scared people off, but really given them the tools that if they think, you know what, I want to sell grandma's cookies, you know, they, they can do that. Yes. And, you know, I'm, I really enjoy chatting with you, Deb. So thanks so much for having me. And, and look, it is, it is complicated. You know, the food industry is a complex place to be in, but it's also highly rewarding. And it does not have to be scary or overwhelming or expensive. Right. Um, you just have to get the right tools to help you out and get the right people to support you and mm-hmm. you will be on your way to success. Perfect. Well, one more time, tell people how they find you and connect with you online. So you can find us on our website. It's www.startyourfoodbusiness.com.au. You can sign up to a blog over there or also book a free um, strategy call with one of us to discuss your options. And we're also on Facebook. So you can like our Facebook page. And if you're in Australia and you're a food business owner, then we have a Facebook group 
called Food Business Australia. Just look it up and join and you can collaborate with all the different food industry people in Australia. Perfect. I love it. Well, I truly have been having a wonderful time today talking with Meghna Morali. I am Deb Creer. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. You've been listening to C-Suite Radio. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.